back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, episode number 64. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes that have known each other forever, who catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD for lunch to talk everything Essendon Football Club. My name is Grant, and with me is Scott. Hello, everyone. Uh, good to be with you. Really tough game on on the weekend, yeah. I must admit. I, yep. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, it, it's a hard one to to diagnose for me, and uh, because... When you look at the last month and you, and you saw us beat Melbourne, and then you saw us destroy Brisbane, then you see us destroy North Melbourne. Looking good. We go to Collingwood, and besides the first quarter, we, we, we were running over the top of them. We yep. probably should have won by that that game by two or three goals. Yeah. You go, okay, so we've played a month of footy we're of high level. You know, we're right in this. You know, you could see us on the podcast, um, hear us, sorry, and, and, and see that we're excited about where this club's going. The, the list looks good. Yep. And then, look, it feels like just out of the blue, after a 10-day break, yeah, with we Joel Selwood out and Dangerfield injured, so he's not a factor at all. Yeah. And you go, and we've put in just a very strange performance. Disappointing and, performance. And it's hard to digest because, you know, I uh, I get a few people texting me who, who have links to the club and they're kind of suggesting to me that there's a little bit more to it, that hmm. there's a... That there's a bit of a bug that's gone through the club, and, and I can't confirm that myself. So I don't can't want, confirm or deny. Yeah, so I don't want to sort of say that's the case. But gee, it wouldn't surprise me if that's the case because yeah. we we just came in so flat, and it seems so bizarre. Like in such a big game, being three and three. Yeah, and, and look after the ten day break and all. There's, there's two sides of this. Geelong's a very very good football team. Yeah, they were polished as all get out. Um, just wouldn't miss a target all game, but. When you have a look at the analysis of of our running patterns, um, which I was having a look today because I'm a super nerd, yep, we ran uh, almost eighty percent more with sprinting going forward than going back, which tells me we just we couldn't run both ways. We couldn't run both ways. Um, whether that energy, what's the issue with that energy? I mean to say is I don't know why. Uh, it was funny because even on Twitter, people had observations about our warm up before the game, going, you know, oh, gee, we look lazy and we look, okay. we look a little bit, you know, disinterested. So it's a strange game. Like, we, just guys, you know, guys, Sarakis and a few other guys, and Joey D and, and Hooker didn't see him himself. And just, it just felt like the whole game was like from almost from. Like after quarter time, I thought we were lucky to be within a goal at quarter yeah, time. Yeah, I agree. I, I we were flat then, but after that, it was it was a non-competitive yeah, effort. True. So what we'll do, um, we'll, we'll get into the um, uh, the analysis of the uh, of the game a bit more um, coming up shortly. Um, but what have we got on the podcast this week, Scotty? Oh, we've been looking forward to this one for ages. Absolutely, so, um, we've got him. Uh, we've got him all signed, sealed, and delivered. It's, it's a good show to have after a loss to cheer us up. Absolutely. So, um, uh, look, we're going, we're going to cross live to Bali, Indonesia. Bali? For the great Ricky Olerenshaw. At great personal expense to Scotty's mobile account. Uh, 77 games for the Essendon Football Club. Uh, very famous for his 93 season. Yep. Uh, I still remember him running sort of sideways across the midfield against uh, Adelaide in the, in, the, in the semi-final as we are coming back and, and it ended up with a McCurry goal that was probably the loudest roar I think anyone's ever heard. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, just uh, a great name at Essendon. Uh, known for his pranks and known for his comedy. Yep. Uh, so it would be. I've never met the guy, so I, I fully don't know what to expect. No, I don't. He's. We want to ask him about his um his post footy career. Obviously, we talked about the um his footy career, but his post footy career has been quite varied. I mean, he's. He was a very well respected and high flying player manager for a while. He's been involved in a number of businesses. Um, he's now living, um, according to Wikipedia, he's now living um, <laughs> full time in Bali, um, and he's a director of a company over there. So, um, yeah, he's, he sounds like he's had a really interesting time. So we're really ecstatic to have um, to have Ricky on the show today. Yeah, awesome. Get look, we'll 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 take a quick break and we'll come back and discuss the uh, Geelong Essendon game yep, in a bit more detail. Cool. See you soon.
Welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Now then, the game v Geelong, MCG, it's got, it's got a couple of elements to it. I want to start off with the story that the stats tell us and the story that the stats don't tell us. Now, in the past, on the podcast, we've said, if you have a look at the stats, we've got Shield, Merritt, Parrish, Heppel, Smith, Connor McKenna, Saad, and those guys, even Michael Hurley at 21 possessions, right? We've got all of the names that we've said in the past, especially Shield, Merritt, Parrish, Heppel, and Smith, if they're at the pointy end with greater than 20-odd possessions, and we get maybe a couple of people with 30 or near enough to 30, that pretty much is an indicator for a win for Essendon. But at the moment, we've got, like you said, Shield, Merritt, Parrish, Heppel, Smith, Hurley, McKenna, Saad, in that order, all around the 20 possession mark and some in the 30s, and we still lost it. Yeah, well, the, I mean, I guess the issue is that you still got to run but two ways, don't you? Yeah, you, I you, think so. You can be a front runner and, and, and get the ball a lot, but the other key is that when Geelong's get the ball, I mean, they... How many times did they just kept on having 25-meter kicks just going up the field without really much pressure yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they just slowly methodically just went up the ground and then kicked a goal i do and wish the club would come out and and for for wins like this that don't sorry losses like this that don't make sense and go yeah look there was a virus like it's not an excuse but there's a virus because you go oh okay that sucks but it just explains the the kind of odd performance like that yeah exactly it, there's there's some strange ones i mean the there's a weird stat that in the last ten games, the five we've won five and lost five in the last ten games, right? Okay. So official premier. The games that we've won, Tip and Woody has kicked twenty goals. One, the games we've lost, he's kicked nil nil. He hasn't had a shot on goal. Wow, and that's a bizarre. Stat. Oh, that's beyond bizarre. That's like sticking out in, in your face. Like, that's... And now, I'm trying to think of, like, what do I think of that stat? I mean, obviously, he's a barometer, right? That's kind of telling Clearly. you. But it does tell me, too, that some of our players are not consistent in their effort, too. Because that's still not a good enough stat for him. Like, even even with the game, like he did play some midfield time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, you could see in the last quarter they tried to get him into the midfield. He's had nine possessions, no shot on goal. Um, he seems to flourish when Fantasia's in the side for me. Yeah. Uh, and that, and we'll talk about Fantasia later. What the hell is going? That's the longest yeah, illness no, of in the history of illnesses. Yeah, it's a it's uh, a windy hill. It's, it's a, a windy, windy hill. hill flu. I think. Um, but he obviously relies on other forwards of quality. Yep. Around him. To, so he's not as a bigger target, I guess. And look, Joey D is probably the same thing. I mean, he would have loved Mitch Brown to help him out yeah. as so well. You, you said to me before this podcast, you said, if anybody's got any doubts about Mitch Brown, um, how important he is to the club, just through his work ethic yeah. and and, uh, and the marks that he takes, there's a prime example. Yeah, and and you could even argue the same with Mitch with McKernan as well. It's just it's just that second tall yeah. making a contest. Yep. Um, and we just... We just lack that, and and look, I don't know how to face this one because obviously the person that we put in the side is Aaron Francis. So let's have an honest chat about Aaron Francis and, and Cole Langford, right? It's it's uh, there's two theories I have. Shoot, and and I've been thinking about this all day, and I've contacted people that I can't say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Just to, to discuss those two to see where their footy's at. Now, now, keeping in mind, <laughs> keeping in mind, keeping in mind, Aaron's finish to last season was good. Yep. Kyle's finish to last season was good. Yep. And look, and that's when when I'm reading Twitter and Facebook, I'm you know I'm constantly hearing they're not up to it, they're not good enough, they're 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 just VFL level, and. I think that's a bit of a cop out, like, you know, because I don't agree. Because because no, in the last four games of the year, we saw Aaron play. You know, he got a bog against Port. Mm-hmm. He was dominant, the most dominant player on the ground. Carl yep. Langford, the last eight or ten games of last year, once he had continuity, 
he was a very, very good player. No, he wasn't the star. No, and, he's never, and, and he's not be. set up to be that because no. you, you, you're setting up, um, at that time, Smith and Happel and Merritt. They're the guys under the ball, so they're going to get all their traffic. But for what his role was, he was getting a 23-24, one goal a game. He was actually getting five or six tackles. He was actually doing really well with clearances. He was getting like five clearances. Yep. Kind of. So he was having a really good year. So I, I can't, with my analysis side to my brain, I know he can play this game and I know he can play it well. Which, who are you talking about? Lo- both. Okay. Both. They can play AFL well. So what is the issue? Why did they come out so flat or... And and for me, when I was watching them, I think I even said, I said, look, they look like they just don't have any self-belief at the moment. And and I understand Francis came out, took a good mark early on. Um, he can take those kind of marks mm-hmm. no matter what. In his sleep. In, in yeah. his sleep. Uh, but overall, their body language for two guys who've been out of the side for two or three weeks was, to most fans, very strange. It was like, why aren't you fighting for a spot I just wonder if they feel in their mind what's the point, not the what's the point, that's a cop out. I could play as well as I like or I could kick two or three goals, but I'm probably out of the side no matter what with Myers having a managed, um, if I'm a Langford, and I wonder if their mind has crossed over to a little bit of, I'm not sure if the club believe. I can can see that for the coaching staff believe. I can see that for Langford, but not Francis. Like, Francis, Francis true, he's got to yeah. understand. He's got to know that he's... I mean, we fought for him. We gave him time off from the club. We gave him everything. His yeah. last five games, ten games last year were just evidence that that kid... Yeah. Everybody, Wayne Carey, everybody is saying, you've got to get this yeah. kid into the side, right? He's he's very talented dude. I can understand that with, with um, Kyle, and I feel for the man along those lines because... Um, Darcy... he, looked, he looked a bit. Yeah, I, you're very right. Actually, good correction on me because I probably am thinking more towards Carl that I, I feel like he's a little bit lost mentally, mm. uh, and and that's just from afar. He could be totally wrong. Yeah, oh, um, and this is the thing we don't we don't know this by the way. I, I've heard enough whispers from enough credible people to know that he's a little bit um, uh, unsure of his place at the club. Uh, if I'm being very honest. Hmm. Uh, and I felt like he was playing that way. It wasn't like a, I, I belong at the club and I'm going to fight my position back. I felt hmm. like there was a little bit person that was a little bit almost defeated in some ways, hmm. just in, in just how he was moving. I mean, he's usually a very good shot on goal. And Aaron as well. Um, and they just were, you know, those kicks for goals were just like so, but, strange. But why? Uh, their because... run-up was strange. But why? Because, I mean, okay, if, if Aaron's been playing, what, three weeks in the reserves now, or two weeks, whatever it was, um, and he gets a call-up... Aaron's a, yeah, I must admit, Aaron is a little bit different. He he has got to show the club that he's serious with his body language. Because he, he came... He probably doesn't have that right, as probably our Kyle Langford does, about feeling a little bit flat. Because he, he hasn't been unwell. He's been unwell. So there's mm. reasons why he's not in the side. Yeah. And actually, when he was fairly fit, they brought him in, played seven games, played for them really, really well at mm. the end of last year. Got the first game of the year. You know, so the club, you know, was like, we're on board. Yeah, um, he's a required player. And, and, and just hasn't come on as well as a like. But... With Aaron, I mean, he, he, it's funny because you, you see his stats, and it's not not like a shocking game, and he and there's some points he presented in that, but it was just those those plays where the ball's nearby, and you just see him just standing there watching it okay. without being proactive going into the contest. Can I can I present the opposing argument to that? Right, we had a little chat in the break. Then I agree with what you're saying. The the sort of laconic nature of his he's an explosive player, right? Like he's we saw him in the VFL one time at Windy Hill off one step, one step and stood on a dude's shoulder, right? Like he is an explosive, he got one step onto a dude's shoulder and took a massive hanger, right? Can I present the opposing argument that that's just Aaron, right? You're not going to get repeat two and three repeat effort 
gut running out of Aaron Francis. It just isn't going to happen because he's the Mark War of football, right? Mark War looked like he was asleep at the at the cricket um, at the pitch, right? But when the ball came off his bat, it pinged to the boundary like you wouldn't believe, right? Is Aaron a burst player? Is he a if he doesn't get that first initial uh, mark or that first initial con- uh, contest, is he? Is he a seventy percent chance of getting it on the ball for a repeat effort? Can we can we be okay with that? Because that's Aaron's national national natural state. Well, you you feel like it is. You feel like he's a bit of a short burst player. Yeah. Um, whether a coach likes that or not ah, is ah. See, there's the question, right? Is the is the next is the next thing? But now, Rusher after the game wasn't really scathing of it. He actually said. He felt he competed okay, which I was a little bit surprised. But he's probably building him up yeah, as he's well. Not, he can't tell. He's not going to trash him. Yeah. Uh, look, it makes for a very interesting Thursday selection. For oh, he plays, he plays again. Do you reckon? Yeah. Okay. Um, I reckon he plays again. I mean, they'll, they'll probably slide him straight back down back because Arazio will come I mean, back in. And or... I guess the only thing with Aaron, um, look for me, my frustration was effort. Uh, if he had effort, I would. I, I, would... I got to correct you. I got to correct you, right? Perceived effort. Like no, he, he put effort in. No, I, I saw too many plays where he could have had an impact. Okay. I mean, yeah, you, I, right. I can't forgive a laconic nature if there's just some fundamentals in football you actually need to do. Okay. Like if there's if there's a few plays where I saw a clear shepherd he could do a clear block, you know, to, to okay. let it go, yep. and and just refused. So there's there's few things I go no. You've, there's some fundamentals you got to do as a as a footballer. Yep. Um. And and people who know me, I'm the biggest believer in Aaron. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I hate saying these because so yeah. I, I get accused of probably being too pro Aaron. But he has to learn from that. I I think with Aaron, the, the only slack I will cut him is that he's done now two pre seasons and as a defender, as a inter intercept defender, and just thrown into a forward pocket. And that's not easy to do. No. Uh, even though his junior career, he did play sometimes. Forward. And we didn't give him a huge amount of the ball, beautiful uh, <laughs> forward 50 entry, did we? we? Well, here's the next subject, right? <laughs> because let's, for 10 days, we had that game to plan. Yeah. Who stuffed it up? The players or the coaches? Because... I've never seen a side go into a Geelong game and say, we'll give you everything you hoped by just abiding by your game plan. Because <laughs> we'll, with Geelong, you know you have to lower your eyes consistently because they set up three in the def- three tall guys in the defence. Harry Taylor and they, can do it yeah, Basically sleep. say, if you kick it long, we've got this covered, and we just continually bombed it long. Yeah. We just refused to lower our eyes. Only only a few plays did I see us um, lower our eyes, and they, they killed us in with our inside 50 marks. Mm-hmm. If you saw the stats, it's like double. Yeah. Um, and it just showed. They just had that level of composure. Uh, again, that word composure, tw- two weeks in a row. Um, so we... We've improved a heck of a lot with our forwards and mids connecting, and we the first two mm-hmm. rounds we really criticised them. Uh, I sense with the Mitch Brown and the and and uh, the Fantasia out and Francis coming in, and I think even Guelphy playing a little bit down there, it felt again like no one really understood each yeah. other again, like the yeah, yeah. the the disconnect. It was a new group. Um, and Myers out as well, so there's a lot of changes. Langford in, and then you got to put on top of that the polish of Geelong because they yeah, yeah. they are they are quite a good side. And Mitch Duncan and those guys, they're oh, still they're, yeah. they're still very very good footballers on top of they're that. They're painful. Yeah, I think I tweeted they're painfully professional. Yeah, they and, are. and they're annoying to watch. But Geelong is always a side that I I find hard to get angry at because I go, oh man, you're just, just a, drilled. You're just a professional club. Yeah. Uh, and that's just it just annoys me that you have to play really smart and if you do I actually think they're very beatable if, oh, if, Geelong, Geelong if, beatable, if you counter that tactic if you play into their hands you've lost the game before it even and like Harry and Taylor we, and we, that... we didn't plan that way like I I, I can't imagine Wusher pl- saying I think we're going to play this way 
Uh, I, no, I, no. I reckon there'll be lots of videotape today where Wush has gone, okay, guys, guys this is not everything what we, we discussed during the week, not what we you did the opposite. Uh, you didn't run back in defence. Uh, here's the thing. like You look at um, someone like Joey D. Now, Blixav's from Geelong. Now he's a he's a bit of a um a bit of a freak. He um he's a Olymp- Olympic standard runner. He's he's done quite well in his AFL career, and congratulations to him. But Mark Blixav would have his rear end handed to him, um, playing one on one with Joey D. Now, Mark he looked like an absolute champion against Joe because we butchered the ball going inside fifty. And people say, oh, Mark Blixar has got another scalp in Joey Danaher. No, mate, you didn't. You, you got a midfield that wasn't getting it into him properly and was just bombing it in. And, mate, anybody, not anybody, sorry, but Mark Blixar's absolutely can punch against Joey D when he's got to lean back into the packs. Yeah. And he's athletic too. And he's athletic. And yeah. someone like um, Harry Taylor, that's what his bread and butter is. Yeah, when I, saw, when I saw Francis go and Harry Taylor, I went... Because uh, yeah, <laughs> there is there is something to say for experience, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just smart experience. For Francis ballers. is good in the air, but Harry's really good in the air. It's kind of raw talent against a very experienced person. Yeah, that's, and, and, and the that's experienced person won the day. Better for the run. Better for the run. Um. So look, I one thing I will say, I'm really let's talk a positive. I'm actually really proud of Jake Stringer this year. Oh man, Jake's Jake is on fire. He is not put in a bad game yet. Um uh he just competes he and looks competes. Fit now. Yeah. He looks real fit. He plays with a level of maturity that I don't think I've, I even saw the Bulldogs. Even, I was gonna say I bet you the Bulldogs would be spilling. Because I know, now they're seeing it. He's calmed down he's, and yeah. he's he's becoming a professional footballer. You feel like life is is at a at a much more stable yeah. level for him. He's a bit Absolutely. of a family man now. Yep. Um what do you so get? look what do you get? 18? Look, it's eighteen and three goals. Um He's competed hard. I actually thought Dylan Shield without a D, without a D. Um, <laughs> actually was very, very good. Uh, I thought most of his possessions were pretty clean. I, I, I sensed he chose to handball a lot uh, to, yeah, just, just, yeah. just to make sure that we're not turning it over. Yeah, yeah. And look, that's fine. But I thought his clearance work, um, especially in the first quarter, him and Belly had a really good connection. Oh, mate. Belly, Belly's Belly first quarter was like, he had three of the best tap, tap outs you would ever want to see. To somebody. And he did get slightly injured, and you felt like it actually did affect us a yeah. bit. So I don't know where Sam Draper's at. He did seem to get a slight injury in the VFL, but okay. then the club are kind of noting that they were managing his minutes, maybe for Sydney. So <sighs> that'd be nice. So I, I can understand with Belly if, with a five day break, if, um, if he, he may, this may be the round he gets a rest. Oh, I'd, I'd love it. So, um, oh, but I, I, I'm still waiting on, I hope, hopefully the club hasn't updated yet. We don't know, but oh, okay. I, I haven't seen an injury report to see, see what's happened whether with Billy's him. Whether Billy's okay. Whether, sorry, whether Draper or Billy in some ways yeah. is okay. So, um, look, as far as other contributors, Sadi tried hard. He always um, does. There was a, I think Parrish has had one of his best games of the year. He had 25 and, and a goal. Yep. Um, so uh, I was really wrapped to see him kick that goal. I thought it was a good reward. Andy Look, McGrath did well. Oh, gee, okay. Well, we thought opposite then. I thought he was terrible. But <laughs> oh, really? I thought he was all <laughs> not, right. Not terrible, but he's be- he's a better player. Than he's that. better player than seventeen possessions. Unfortunately, but, Connor that... had an absolute possession dog of a night. <laughs> McKenna oh, had the Connor. Look, everyone has one. Yeah, absolutely. I, and and I did see a lot of criticism of him. I will say this: he continually takes the game on I, and I'm still going to say well bugger me that's braver than a lot of the other guys yeah, are doing who are, who are yeah, just yeah, sitting yeah. there not getting the ball yeah, yeah you don't yeah, get yeah. a turnover but it's because you didn't decide to get the ball, touch the ball yeah. at least at least he has the brain to say get, get ball run with it yep. play our game style it just didn't work this game it just, no, just, just didn't work but I'll, I'll accept that yeah. I'll accept if the attitude's right. I think most Essendon fans think that think this way. If the attitude's right, I'll accept it. Absolutely. But we do, as a club, got to get cleaner with our skills. Yeah, true. All right, what we'll do? Um, we're now going to uh, we'll cross over to um, let's get Ricky guest, on the line, Mister Ricky. So uh, we're going to give him a call and we'll uh, we'll have him on the line soon. And we are very excited to have 
on the line, the great Ricky Ollerenshaw from, I guess, the the, uh, the famous uh, Baby Bombers crew uh, from 93, I think, to 99. Is that right, Ricky? Yeah, from the 93 crew, mate. Let's hope we trust this line, too, because I'm actually based in Bali, and you can't always trust the um, telecommunications over here. So hopefully we can get this conversation fluent. Yeah, no, we should be good. Um, again, thanks very much for uh, for, uh, for being with us today, Ricky. We uh, we've been we've been having a, a few chats to some of the uh, some of the inadverted commas older players at the club. We've we've spoken to Gary O'Donnell and uh, and Simon Madden and that sort of stuff. So we really appreciate you having on. Um, you made your senior debut in round three v the Pies um, in '93 with the Bombers. Um, and you uh, yep. you fast became um, a good player at, at the at the Bombers um, out on the wing. Um, can you tell us what that first season was like, getting drafted and getting pl- and playing in the first season? Yeah, I actually didn't come through the draft. I was brought up in Keelor, which was half zoned to Essendon, half zoned to to the Bulldogs. And I just I moved house at about twelve years of age and moved away from Scotty West. So he up at the Bulldogs, I up at the, up at the Bombers and. Wow. Um, came through the under-19s, which playing under-19s was great because you came through with a lot of guys you play with in the area. So I got, you know, I, took, I got to play a lot of football with guys like McCurry and Mercedes and these types, Calthorpe, yeah. um, well before we got to AFL level. So I was sort of lucky in that we'd had to play a lot of football together through the junior ranks playing Essendon District League and, and then also under-19s at Essendon. And then um, got my first taste of senior footy, you know, early in 93. A lot of my mates I'd come through with made a debut the year before and played in a 92 reserves flag. Uh, but I didn't really get to taste it till till 93. Now, did you win, am I right in saying you won the, the, the best and fairest in the under-19s, 91? Yeah, that would have been 91. I think that was the last year of the under-19s, um, which we had a you know, star-studded lineup with you know, guys like James Hurd came into the club at that point as well. So, um, we had a good under 19 team, and then a lot of those boys came through and played reserves together. And then, and I guess in '93 we we probably clicked a lot quicker because we played so much football together. But um, it was a great time around the club. We had all those legends, you know, all those legends still around the club, like Madden and Danaher and Ezard, still fighting around the club in the early '90s. So it was a it was a it's actually an intimidating environment to walk into when you when you're a young skinny kid from Keilor and. You walk in and there's all these legends around the club. It was a very intimidating environment back then. Did you get like, it, it always fascinates me um, when you hear these sort of stories about, like you said, a young kid um, coming in and, and standing opposite um, Alan Ezard and Simon Madden, those blokes. It would have been well into 200 games or something by that stage. I mean, how did they, how do they treat you as a kid like that? I mean, it, it fascinates me. You've obviously got talent. You're in an elite club. How do they treat you in a situation like that? Does it, is it very individual? Do certain guys and girls take you under a wing, or do they very much just expect you at that uh, elite level to know how to train, know what you need to do, and to perform? The pressure is on to perform. Yeah, I think you always remember the players that take you under your wing, and I remember my first night, and I, was, I remember Paul Salmon grabbed me and saying, "Come on, son, let's go for a warm up lap." And he was, you know, I was like about sixty-two kilos, ringing really wet. And Paul Salmon was a monster of a bloke. And so I did my first ever warm-up lap with the footy club with Paul Salmon. And I couldn't even stutter out about four words. I was so nervous. <laughs> and then I remember going in, and I remember going into the gym and there, you know, guys were pumping, all, you know, putting all the weights on the on the barbell. And I was like, man, I can't even get here near lifting that. So I used to go into the gym later on once everyone left to do my gym work because I was so embarrassed about what I could do. Well, mate, I've got an and, interesting... Um, I, oh, sorry, I, keep going. No, no, it was just a, it was just a very nerve-wracking time because you're young and you're skinny and um, there's so many stars around. Tim Watson was still fighting around at that point. And, um, you know, I, I did know Mark Harvey from my Keela day, so I sort of gravitate towards halves and, you know, you try and grab hold of a familiar you know, name or face and um, it, was a, it was a great time to come through. But I tell you, what, as a young bloke, it was nerve-wracking. I bet it was. And uh, interesting that you mentioned Paul Salmon because <laughs> just so happens that I'm sitting in Collins Place uh, in Melbourne uh, on Collins Street for those people. And um, I sat down with me a couple of little sushi rolls today and then sitting directly opposite me is the big fish himself. So I'm sitting there and thinking, now there's an absolute opportunity for a guest on the Lunchtime Catch-Up podcast. <laughs> so I wandered over and said, no, hey, the fish. It's great, but well, I... I... 
Well, last year I came back to Melbourne from Bali for the 25-year premiership reunion and I took my wife, um, who's Balinese, back to Melbourne to, I guess, meet all the players I play with and, and, and have her first taste of being involved with the Essendon Footy Club. And the person she fell in love with was Paul Salmon. I can understand that. So she met all the players. She met all the players, and the one person she loved was Paul Salmon. Absolutely, because I mean, I, I walked over, and it's it's one of those awkward moments where he's eating his lunch. He's got he's working on his mobile. You can tell he's busy. Um, and I just wanted to find that right spot to say, mate, not can I get your number to do this right now? Just is there a way we can contact you in the future, maybe to be a guest? And he stood up, shook my hand, asked me my name, wanted to know all about the podcast. Um, laughed when I said that we've had halves and sheeds and that sort of those guys on. Um, and he said, yeah, mate, I'm more than happy to do it. Um, I'm going on a bit of a holiday, so give me a call after. So, well, there you go. I'll tell you what, he was nice back in uh, 93 and he's continuing to be nice now. Oh, yeah, he's one of the great human beings, Paul Salmon, for sure. And he's got a great sense of humour as well. Yeah. Can I ask, uh, Ricky, just into that 93 season, you've obviously had that connection with Missidi and these guys coming through Keel or... When did you guys start to feel uh, that the year turned from sort of a bit of excitement and just see if we can make the finals to okay, we will, we looks like we are playing finals and it looks like and you felt like I think we can actually compete with these top teams now. When did you when did you feel it start to click? Yeah, I think as a young boy, I think back I was first half of the season. I probably just more worried about getting a game every week. That's probably what yeah. Your priority is you don't sort of think about about playing finals or playing in premierships. You're just trying to cement your spot, and then once you feel like you're comfortable in the team, then you start thinking about team success a bit more. And it probably wasn't until maybe two or three weeks before the finals where we'd had we racked up a, a couple of really good wins, and we had a lot of self belief within the team. But we felt like at any point in a game, we still had a chance to win, no matter uh, what what the position of the game was or the momentum. We felt like we were always in the game, and I reckon it was about two weeks before the finals, and I said to my dad, who, my, who was always against tattoos, I said, if I play in a premiership with Essendon, do you reckon I can get a tattoo? And he just laughed at me. He said, mate, you're kidding yourself. You're that far away from playing in the premiership. I wouldn't even think about it. And all of a sudden, we played in finals, and then um, I think it might have even been the, after the prelim win, I said to my dad, if we win this week, I'm going to go and get a tattoo. And um, sure enough, after... after after we won the premiership, a few of us went down and got tattoos. It's the only one I've ever had. I've still got that tattoo. It's nice. the only one I've, I've ever had in my life. Mate, that's and it brilliant. probably needs to be redone because it just looks like, it looks like a blob of a birthmark now. It doesn't even look like a bomber anymore. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of tattoo joints in Bali. You can get one done. Yeah, I tattoo piles in every street corner. I'm, my next business I'm thinking about is having a tattoo removal business. <laughs> that means people walk around here with crappy tattoos. I'm thinking I'm like an outline. The Bali stickers. Yeah, no, that's not a bad idea. Can I ask also, um, so with that 93 side, uh, you're you're obviously settled in the seniors. Who do you see as an Essendon teammate and go, oh my goodness, he is really, really good. Like who who did you sort of go, wow, like I can't believe I'm playing with a guy like this. Was it like a Buick or a Mercury or? Uh, the, the one guy I really admire was Gary O'Donnell. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I didn't know much about Gary before I arrived at Essendon. He, he was never a, a, you know, a superstar like some of the other names have mentioned. But he, just the way he went about his footy and just during games, he always, you know, when you felt tired, he'd run past you and he'd pick you up and say, come on, mate, let's, you know, lift the feet, let's go, you know. He was one of those sort of guys who was a great bloke to play footy alongside. Um, so he was someone I really admired. In terms of the guy I thought was a, the most talented was probably Mark McCurry. I felt when Mark was on, um, then and his body was good that we would win. He was just had that yeah. golden touch. Every time he got the footy, he'd end up in a in a goal. And you know, when people ask me who was the best player you play with, he's probably right up there. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Essendon supporters that absolutely back you up on that one. Um, it was a it was a tough season, ninety three, and again throughout your sort of whole season, uh, whole season, whole career. Um, who did you really uh, sort of not hate playing, but who did you? Which were the sides that you knew you were going to be in in a battle with every um, every week? Oh, I guess in that early nineties, yeah, West Coast were a bit of a power at that time. And um, one thing about 
playing back in that era, not only did you know what team you're up against, but you could also knew what opponent you're up against. I could map out my yeah. next four or five opponents um, four or five weeks out. Whereas this day and age, you can't seem to do that. You know, players don't really have that internal battle with another player for a whole game. So when I, in those early days in sort of '93, I knew I had May Waring, you know, next week, and then the following I had Simon Chigenza. Um, you know, it just you just kept coming up against great players, but you knew that okay, I've got them on a wing all day. Um, so you're in your own little private battle. Um, and that's one thing I really loved about playing in that era is that you did have um, great battles with opponents, not only, you know, once off, but you have them over a number of years. I think this day and age, you don't see that as much anymore, um, those individual battles between players. Yeah, t- uh, it's so true. It's it's obviously, it's players everywhere at the moment. Uh, can I ask... Obviously, uh, uh, probably a folklore of Essendon is the semi-final 93 with the Crows. Um, and obviously, at halftime, it looked a bit of a, like a disaster. There's a famous play where you're sort of streaming across, almost sideways across the midfield in some ways, and it ends up with a Mercury goal. Is that a play that just sticks out in your mind? One, just the crowd reaction after that goal, but it was just something electric about that whole play that you just knew, I think we're going to win this. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I've had a number of Essendon supporters over the years actually send me that YouTube clip and say that's one of their favourite ever clips or favourite ever memories. I think it was Wanganeen took a great mark who gave it to Fletcher who kicked it to me at half back and then I, yeah, I went sort of sideways across the ground to run for space and kicked to Calthorpe who handballed to McCurry who kicked a great goal. Um, and the sound that the, the MCG made um, was something you never forget. And I think at that point in, the, in that prelim were a couple of goals down. I think we started the second half about seven goals down. And I think yeah. it sort of started to creep back into the game by that stage. And the no- noise was enormous. And as, as a club, we thought Adelaide were the best team in it that year. And when we used to approach the Crows, we used to call them the four M's. Um, we, so you beat the, the players that start with M you'll beat the Adelaide Crows. And that was Modra, Maynard, McGuinness, McDermott. They were the four guys okay. that targeted and said, if we, can, if, we can, if we can stop those four, then you'll beat the Crows. And we felt like if we got past the Crows, then we were really confident against Carlton. Because um, yeah. I think we felt like the Crows were probably the best side in that year. So once we got over Crows, you know, once we got over the Crows in that game, which, you know, no one really gave us a chance at half time. Our belief going to the grand final was enormous. And um, I think we lost to Carlton by a couple of points in that first night final. Yeah. Um, but we had, I think we made about eight changes over the course of the final series. And by the time we came to the grand final, it was quite a different team. But I always felt that we could beat Carlton. Yeah. So you go on to win a pretty famous grand final. I'm kind of interested to know the, the after effect of that to a young side. Um, there's probably, a, I guess, a belief when you hear some media and a few others talk about that, that the because you've won a grand final so young, I guess that the, I guess the over-celebration, I'll call it, um, probably had a bit of a flow-on effect. Do you see it that way? Or, or was it just other circumstances around sort of the, the 94, 95 kind of years? I, I, well, I just felt like that team that played in that premiership never really played together again. Um, yeah. And I think the biggest hit to us was, would have been in a pre-season game over in Perth and in 94, early in 94, and Michael Long done his ACL. Yeah. And that really put us on the back foot straight away because at that point, I, I reckon Long was the best player in the AFL. His final series in 93 was was just elite. Electric, and yeah. at that point, if they, doing the, if they were doing the top 50 players like they do now, um, you'd almost have him at one. That's how good he was. And losing him on the eve of the season was a, probably a bit of a hit to the club. And we had a, a few other guys get injured um, who'd had you know big 93 seasons. I think Buick might have been injured that season as well. Yep. Um, so we never really got that same group together. And then we had a few retirements as well, like, uh, like um, Tim. And, yeah, so I don't feel like that 93 team ever got to – to play as a group again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 94 was a struggle. 95, we were thereabouts. We, you know, we got 
beaten up by Richmond in a semi-final. Um, and I think we had a number of injuries again during that course of that game. So that, that hurt our 95. And then obviously 96, we probably should have made the grand final when we lost to Sydney by a point in the prelim. So, you know, the three years past 93, we still had, you know, we're still thereabouts, um, but a couple of things didn't go our way. Speaking of injuries, you had a few over that period of time as well, didn't you? That was, was um, hampering how you were playing. Uh, well, yeah, right through my career, I never really got a good run of it, to be honest. I had a range of injuries. Even in 93, I missed you know, six or so weeks with a torn finger tendon. Um, in 94, I broke an ankle. 95, I missed half the season with a back and, and hamstring problem. Same with 96. Um, I think 97, I got four weeks of hitting Scott Camperali, so that <laughs> that cost me a month of footy. Um, I don't remember So, that. yeah, so, um, so I never really had a good run of it. Um, right through my time at Essendon, to be honest. And I guess it, it, it was, it's interesting for the for the people that have never played AFL football, Ricky, in that how hard it must be to to get consistent football with the rigours of AFL football as it was, um, to, to consistently get hammered on a week-to-week basis by huge people like Chris Mainwaring and Paul Salmon and all those massive units. Um, how hard it must be to string all of those games together um, with your... Uh, like I said, being being hammered by those bikes. Yeah, and I think back then we didn't have the rotations. We didn't have those midfield rotations to do now. So yeah. I look at my final series in 93, you know, you're a young 19-year-old body, and I only came off the ground for about 10 minutes in the grand final, but that was the first time I'd been off the ground for the whole entire final series. So your wow, body's I didn't pretty, know that. You know, been, 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 you know, you've probably ran in a month of footy, you probably ran you know, 60 kilometres and, and being bashed up a fair bit. It was a, it was a pretty, um, you know, contested type of game of football back then. And yep. you do that week in, week out on young bodies. And we probably didn't have the same screening and training we we, we do yeah. in this day and age where guys come into the club and they get properly screened. There's a lot of individual attention to training. We just got thrown into the, into the to one group and you do the same running and the same weights. And um, some guys can, their body handles it and some don't. And, I was probably in that boat where, you know, I'd, I'd get injuries from overtraining or overplaying or you get a contact injury. But it's funny now, I look at the team I played with in 93, um, I probably had more injuries than anyone, but I'm st- the only one still playing. Um, <laughs> I'm still playing footy now at 40, nearly 47. Um, but I couldn't see them stringing their games together back in the... When I was in my twenties, <laughs> you, you just needed maturing. Yeah, as your yeah, body, you just, just needed... that's it. You just need to be mature. You should be coming back and playing for us now. Um, so, okay, so well, I think maybe I just don't move as quick. Maybe just because I'm playing in third gear, I'm not not stretch out those hamstrings too far. Nah, it's okay. We'll plonk you in a forward pocket. You still got you still got the left boot. There, yeah, I, I, the way the way the ball was coming down yesterday, I wouldn't I wouldn't play big forward pocket. It was coming <laughs> way too slow. So, c- can I ask Ricky? Um, was it yourself that you felt like you needed a change with the uh, trade to Collingwood? I don't know if, if my memory serves me correct, but I felt like you you may have wanted to go to North Melbourne, but you ended up at Collingwood. Or how did how did that all come about? Yeah, end of '98, I I, I sort of had a, a meeting with Sheeds. It was mutually agreed to best to move on. I wasn't enjoying my footy at that point under Sheeds. That salary cap was full. I felt like I was playing all over the place. I didn't have a, a set position. You know, one week I'd tag, next week I'd play in a wing, next week I'd be back pocket, next week I'd be sort of half forward, flank forward pocket. And I just felt like I wasn't sort of going anywhere with my football. I wasn't enjoying it as the way I should. So um, I was pretty keen to go and play under Dennis Pagan, who I had a fair bit of experience with in 92 when he coached oh, the, of course. Yep. the um, Bombers Reserve side. Yeah, and um, I was pretty keen to go and play at North, but I, at that point, Essendon and North couldn't come to an agreement on a trade. So um, I ended up at Collingwood, and I, it's funny, as soon as I walked in the door, I just felt like I made the wrong call. I just didn't feel comfortable at Collingwood right from the first day. Yeah. And um, I almost felt like ringing back to Essendon and saying, I want to come back. <laughs> um, and, I look back and I look back now, and I wish I had it. Like, I know you shouldn't have regrets, but I wish I had a state at Essendon. I, I, I just, even if I had played for less money and, and gritted my teeth. And and, and I, at that point, my body was good. You know, I, I worked pretty hard with the fitness staff at, at Essendon and my body was starting to feel pretty good and strong. I, I, I have a regret about leaving. Um, 
But I went to Collingwood, my body felt a bit, so I only played the five games there in two years. And um, didn't didn't enjoy my time there. I made some good mates out of it. I just had Paul Williams, ex-Collingwood and Sydney player, yep. staying with me over the last few weeks in Bali. Um, so I made some good mates out of Collingwood, but I just never enjoyed my time there at all. How did that experience shape you as a player manager? Um, with with how you're with how you're sort of dealing with, I guess, players underneath you who are thinking along the same lines. Yeah, I, I definitely um, impacted the way I, I viewed my players. I I always encourage them to try and stay. I never really encourage my players to to look elsewhere, and yeah. I don't feel like players move for money. I think most of the time they move for. You know, opportunity is one of the big things. Yeah, um, agree. So whenever I had a, a player who was a little bit disgruntled or you know thinking about moving for money, I'd always try and sway them to to stick with it um, and stay with their club. A good example was Adam Cooney when he was keen to move on from the Bulldogs. I was one of the people who actually encouraged him to stay. Yep. And you know, I ended up doing the deal with Essendon, but I probably did it reluctantly. Um, I wanted Adam to try and commit to the Bulldogs and, and finish his career there but um, you know, decided he, he needed a change of scenery but my experience as a player I feel I wish I had have stayed at Essendon and gritted my teeth a little bit longer at that point I was 24 and um, I look back and think did I, did I really need a change or just, did I just need to sort of buckle down and, and work a bit harder and fight for my spot I often wonder um, along that same lines with regards to where players player movement uh, in the AFL, it's very different to other um, elite sports around the world, sort of NBA and NFL and that sort of stuff. They 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 switch teams more regularly and the like. Is it something within the the players of the AFL that they want to be a one club player? Is there more value on playing for one whole club or? Um, like you said, do are they starting to think a bit more about changing clubs um, more than potentially they have in the past? I don't think so. I think once you get to a club, you always aspire to be a one-club player. I think that's what a lot of guys would be proud to do, but you just don't know what's around the corner with your career. You know, you settle in, you're, you're playing a successful team, you're playing premierships, but things can change. You know, injuries or poor form or change a coach, whatever it might be. Um you know, changing clubs is always going to going to happen, and you know I, I changed clubs twice. I ended up at North Melbourne in the end, and um, you don't know what can happen as you you know you twist in terms of your career where they end up. So, club players will always change clubs, and and half the time clubs want to push them on, and sometimes players want to move on and, and further their career elsewhere. But it's always going to happen. When you see a, like a, a Lynch going from Gold Coast to Tigers. There's sometimes a perception that some players, which uh, are going almost for success, uh, rather than, I guess, I guess, um, being valued. Because I mean, we're talking a club captain here. Uh, how did you see that situation? Yeah. I don't think you can choose a club on on who's going to have success. You've seen how quickly the ladder changes. I don't think players now can look at a club and go, "I want to go there because they've got a chance to win the premiership." And that's one of the things I said to Adam Cooney. Don't look at which club's going to have success next year because you can never predict that. And, and mm. you know, teams at the moment turning around their their fortunes really quickly. We saw that with the Bulldogs for their 2016 premiership. One thing I did say to Adam was, one thing I can guarantee you at the Bombers is you get to play in big games like Anzac Day and Dreamtime game. And you get to play in front of big crowds at the G. Yep. Whereas you, if you go to another club, um, you don't get those opportunities. I remember looking back on my career, I, I have really great memories of, you know, like, for example, the Anzac Day game in 95, playing by oh, 96,000 yeah. people. So, and that's one of the reasons Adam went to the went to the Bombers because he was going to get some opportunities to play in memorable games in front of big crowds. And there's things you, you, you really cherish when you retire. Yep. So uh, if we move from on the field to off the field, Ian Ricky, we're, we're always interested to understand... Yep. Um, who are the characters uh, at the Bombers that you played with um, in the locker room, after the game, um, having beers and stuff? Who are the real characters that would make you laugh? Oh, we're so lucky at Essen. We had a number of characters. I know every time we catch up for our 93 reunion, it's always an absolute laugh. And, you know, a lot of characters in that room. David Calthorpe's always been one for me that um, always made me laugh. Um, Joe Messier was the same. Um, yeah, we had so many sort of characters throughout the noise and 
they're probably guys that, you know, that I think it back of times that was Michael Long had a great, you know, great wit as well in team meetings. And, and probably Tim Watson was um, one of the best in team meetings to crack one line, which she never seemed to understand. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of characters coming through. There's always practical jokers. Um, yeah, Would you so class yourself in was, that? Was, uh, the 90s, in that the 90s year was great for that, that stuff. What's that? Sorry. Would you uh, class yourself in that um, bracket? You've kind of got the reputation, mate. Oh, I, I've got no idea. You'd have to ask the place I've played with, I guess. Um, I remember. I was, more, I was probably more the brunt. I was probably more the brunt of the prank you jokes. I would have thought. I remember. I remember Mark Harvey telling me a story about. Uh, I don't know if you were there, but Michael Long, um, Sheets was doing some um, uh, some plays on a whiteboard and. Uh, <laughs> Michael Long was complaining that why can't we use a blackboard <laughs> for once in respect to yeah, him? Yeah, I, I do remember that comment. It was actually a funny video session we did with Sheeg, and he was he was going he was reviewing the '93 semi final, which we lost to Carlton. And Sheeg's off used to get players and the the current players confused with the past players. For example, he he called Scott West Doug Hawkins, and they wore the same number. So Sheeg often had that issue. He, you get players confused from previous years. So we're going through the tape, and um, uh, uh, Ange Christie was dominating across the half-back line. And um, she turned to the team and said, hey, guys, who's playing on uh, uh, Alex Marcou? Alex Marcou? Alex, wow. Thinking, yeah, and, and I'm thinking to myself, didn't Alex Marcou play like early 80s? And he turned to Timmy Watson and said, Timmy, yeah, were you on Alex Marcou? And Timmy said to Sheez, nah, Sheez, I was on Katoggio. <laughs> and the whole the whole team's erupted. And Sheez just scratched his head like, Tim, what are you talking about, mate? <laughs> Katoggio played in the 80s. But he still couldn't work out he was referring to Ange Christie with Alex Marcus. But he'd do, that, he'd do that regularly where he'd be talking about a player from the 80s who obviously retired and, and referring to the current day players. And, yeah, it would often be confusing before a game, that's for sure. God bless Sheets. <laughs> Can I look? Let's talk about uh, Ricky Ollenshaw today. So, I believe you're. Uh, are you representing the AFL like in Indigenous footy programs? Um, and I think you're coach of the Indonesian Volcanoes. Can you can you talk around about that? Uh, I moved to Bali around about six years ago, and at that point, I had no interest in getting involved, back involved with football, or even playing football, but. I, I met the president of the Bali Geckos about 20-odd years ago, and um, we bumped into, into each other in the surf one day about four or five years ago, and he said, mate, you've got to come Bali. down to the Geckos and have a run. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's the way you meet people in Bali in the surf. So <laughs> I reluctantly went down to the Geckos and started training, and, and then they taught me into playing. So I started back playing again about three or four years ago, and then I, they gave me the, the senior coaching job. So I've now coached the Geckos for the last three or so years and I'm back playing again. I've got my body in some sort of working order. And now I also coach a national team, the Indonesian Volcanoes, which is a merged club between Bali, Jakarta, Batam and Borneo. So I now coach the Indonesian Volcanoes. So when we travel away, we tend to play as Indonesia. But when we play as home, we tend to play as Bali. Okay. That's great. It must be hard to get everybody on the the same field. So for Easter, we, we... What's that, mate? Must be hard to get everybody on the same field. Yeah, well, we've, we've got to travel a long way. Like, for example, <laughs> we played Vietnam in an Anzac Day game in Vung Tau, so it was a pretty big trip to get all the boys from, you know, into Ho Chi Minh on the Friday, and then we get a ferry up to Vung Tau on the Saturday, and we played Vietnam in an Anzac Day game, which ended up being a draw. Um, <laughs> so we, we do travel far and wide and travel in pretty hot conditions to get a game of footy in, but that was our away game last week. Um, we're now off to Singapore next week to play the Wombats. So what and was... then we have the Bali Masters here in June. Yeah, look, the Wombats, uh, it's an away game. And then uh, we're, and we're also defending Asian champs. We won the uh, Asian champs last year and beat Philippines in the grand final. So 96,000 for the 95 Anzac Day game. Is that how, can I ask the crowd size for the 2019-18? Uh, in, uh, in, in, in Vung Tau, how many were oh, there? Oh, that... <laughs> In Vung Tau, it would have been 96 and a, and a few stray dogs. But you know what? It was a great game of footy. I loved it. It was, you know, the crowd got into it. It was, um, you know, tense all day. It was, it was a great game of footy. So, um, 
you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a good weekend away. That would have been a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, I don't suppose the deck would have been MCG-like, but um, it would have been, I'll tell you what, you, you wouldn't like to have been running too hot, uh, too far with all of the humidity <laughs> in, in Vietnam. Oh, I just remember we did the um, national anthems and we did the last toast and a minute silence. And even after that, I was just about knackered. I was <laughs> sweating it up. It was pretty hot conditions. And then um, the boys were saying that I, I tried to do a big inspirational speech at three-quarter time, but I was covered in dirt, even had dirt in my teeth. And oh. I couldn't keep a straight face at three-quarter time. I was trying to trying to fire the boys up. But um, no, I still love being involved. I'd, I'd be out of footy now for a number of years so to get back involved with footy over in Asia um, it's been a great experience I'm really enjoying it and we're starting to see a lot more um, local talent come through as well and yeah. we've got a, we just launched our women's team a, a few weeks back um, the Pink Geckos so we've been getting a few numbers down to our women's team and we've also got a Auskick program running as well that's great oh man it sounds awesome I, I've for me I've gone to Vietnam a few times and I'm uh, hoping to go to Bali early next year so hopefully I can check out the schedule and come along that'd be great <laughs> yeah well, well we get plenty of crew on their holiday coming over and having a run with us and we had Dustin Martin over Christmas so um, <laughs> yeah we get some get all sorts of people coming through he'd, and, he'd be alright in the Indonesian league I would figure <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we had a couple of practice games here but the funny thing was we had a whole heap of boys come over over their off-season, have a run with us. Um, we had Max Gorn, and we had Christian Petrarca, we had Kate Simpson, Dustin Martin. But it's funny, all the guys that play with, had a run with us over the summer had a shocking start to the season. <laughs> and I had them all in my fantasy team. Uh, I went by I went by emotion and thought, right, all these boys have trained with us. Oh, Kyle Langford was another one who um, trained with us. And, um, yeah, we, I put all those boys in my fantasy team, and they also had a shocking start to the season. So Mate, so I don't think we're going to be, uh, we won't be classing Bali as the next Colorado sort of high high altitude training facility. No, exactly. We want the Bombers to finish bottom next year. Bring them over here for a training camp for sure. <laughs> Look, just uh, I, I can't leave you without asking about the Bombers today. Uh, where you've, I think you're watching sort of most of the games. Obviously, we had our first two games, which was a, a bit of a disaster. But since then, we seem to have a month of really good footy and then just had this sort of aberration, uh, I guess, yesterday. How, how are you seeing the Bombers in, in 2019? Uh, it's hard to say where they're at. I, I was pretty bullish about them uh, before the season started. And you know, their pre-season form was pretty ordinary. They started the season off pretty ordinary. And they seemed to turn things around. I can't say where they're at, to be honest. Um, I think they need their best side out there to be any serious threat. You know, yeah. it seems like they keep losing a few key players every week. I think Arazio was out yesterday, who's crucial to that forward line. And yeah. you know, Joe Danaher's, you know, we need to get him up and running. He's sort of guy you can build a team around. So I just feel like they, they want to get someone. They really need to have their, their best side out there. Um, and I just maybe feel like they may a player or two short to, to be a serious threat at this stage. That's sort of my um, outlook on what I've seen so far. Forward, back, or a mid for those couple of players? Oh, geez, I've got, you can always you can make a case having one in each, couldn't you? Like, yeah, I feel like we're a midfielder yeah. short, especially an inside midfielder. Um, you know, it'd be great to have Joe back in his prime, someone like him. That'd um, be great. Yeah. You know, I also feel like they just a, I just feel like they're a player short in each part of the ground. But I, again, I don't know what they've got in their VFL team. I haven't seen any of the the VFL um, games, which we don't get over here, obviously. So True. I just don't know what they've got to bring through. But it might be time now to, I guess what she did back in 93, he gave four or five guys a real good goal at it. And that's maybe what the team needs. Worked all right in 93. Worked all right then, yeah. But um, a different era these days. And we had... I guess in '93 had 16 really great players, you know, really core players like you know David Greenvold and Chris Danaher, yeah, who are really solid, solid players. And yeah. then you bring in six kids who just go, like, just go and lairize and play your own game a bit. That's sort of how we approached it back then. But I'm just not sure, you know, what they've got in the next level down. It might be time to start getting a few of those boys through. Well, just just so you know, the VFL boys are actually on top of the ladder with a, with a percentage of about three hundred percent. Yeah, the, uh, the VFL so boys are doing well. There you go, mate. Must be so, there must be something in there. Yeah, there's, look, there's a few guys that have promised, especially a ruckman. You'll probably hear a guy called Sam Draper. He may even debut soon, but they've got some they've got some young talent there. 
Yeah, well, it'd be good to see them thereabouts. It's always good to see the big clubs like the Bombers, you know, thereabouts come finals time because you get the big crowds and it's always nice to see Melbourne clubs play each other. Beautiful. Now, Ricky, we've kept you for way too long. Um, we could, like we say, with uh, all of the Essendon legends we talk to, we could talk to you forever, mate, but we better let you go. Um, off to probably a Bali sunset, or is it uh, what's, what's happening over there in Bali as we speak? What have we got, Nita? What are we, what are we doing tonight for, in Bali? And what have we done today? Been on a boat, haven't we? Yeah. Been on a boat. It's fun. Who's your, who's your favourite Bombers player? Uh, Ricky Olorico. <laughs> yeah, correct <laughs> answer. Who, who was the favourite you met last year? Justin Martin. No, the favourite Essendon player you met last year. Uh, big tall bloke. Big Mark, fish. Mark Wood? Mark? 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 <laughs> hey, Paul Salmon. Carl Langford. <laughs> <laughs> but Dustin Martin's a... That's her hall pass, you reckon? She likes oh, really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, mate, um, thank you and very when, much. And when she's, and when she's here with me, she breaks for Collingwood, don't you? Yeah. Anyway, you got, you got to right. fix that, don't you? you. <laughs> That's enough from you. Thanks very Actually, much. My, you know, you're, laughing this, my, you're laughing this. My wife's name's Katut. That's for real. Oh, that's for real? Like the Amy ad. Nice. Yeah, that's her name. Her, so her it wasn't made name, up. Katut, like the Amy ad. Nice. Well, mate, thank you very much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Um, you've been a legend, mate. Yeah, you've been an absolute legend for coming on. I know that all the listeners are absolutely going to love this conversation. So thank you very much to you, and thank you very much to the Indonesian Telecommunication Network um, for, <laughs> for keeping us connected. Um, when you're yeah, over awesome in... Awesome, boys. Thanks for the call. Great, we really appreciate yeah, it. When you're over in Bali, mate, look me up. Yeah, I absolutely will. And all the bombers, boys, we're over in Bali... Come down to the Bali Geckos and have a, have a run with us and, and watch us play. Beautiful. Um, Thanks very much for your time again, Ricky. Uh, see Bye-bye. you, Bye. Well, I must admit that's actually one of my all-time favourite interviews. Absolutely, mate. Talk about a bloke that's easy to talk to. I could literally talk to him all night. What a cool bloke. Ricky Olerin Shaw, Premiership, uh, Premiership star 1993, now just living the life in Bali. Hanging out in the forward pocket, playing in Vung Tao. How cool would that be? Uh, yeah, the envy level is extremely high. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, oh, look, uh, I can't say thank thank you enough to Ricky. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, he's been really easy to contact and was straight away. He said, yeah, I can talk to you and talk to the show. And so mate, we keep getting these guests. I was going to say, it keeps... Mate, i tell you what, it speaks to the... The kind of people that the Essendon Football Club has um, has had through its history, absolutely. I mean, so Ricky and Harves yeah. and all the guests that we've had on here have been more than happy just to talk to this dinky little podcast um, for the listeners to to see what they're up to and get a bit of an insight into them. And I don't know if anybody picked up, but uh, there's a bit of an insight into potentially a guest that we'll have in the future. <laughs> um, I was sitting opposite Paul Salmon today, and um, I thought, wow. There's an opportunity. So I wandered over and said, uh, in my very best, like I was a seven-year-old going for an autograph, excuse me, Mr. Salmon, is there a way we can contact you? And mate stood up, and the man's about 19 foot tall, um, shook my hand, said, yeah, g'day, I'm Paul. And I said, yep, mate, I I, I know. I kind of figured that. I kind of figured, yeah, I know who you are. Um, And he said, yeah, a couple of months, he's off traveling. Um, but he's happy enough to do it. So um, we're going to have uh, Paul Salmon on the podcast in the not-too-distant future as well, which will be great. Oh, awesome. Good work, mate. Good Thank work. you very much. Thank you very much. So, so look, who we got this week? Okay, so we've got a five-day break playing Friday night against the Swans, so we're straight back into it. Yeah. Uh, Swans, obviously, this year are quite beatable. They're... they're I watched. I actually watched the whole they're game. down at the moment. I watched the whole game against them in Brisbane. And look, they are... Struggling, yeah. Um, so it's a big opportunity for us. Look, it's a big four weeks. We've got Fremantle at home, Sydney. Uh, We've got to bounce back again. Yeah, so we can win. Talent-wise, we can win three the next four. Uh, but can we do it? Like, can we yeah, put, put in that consistent the effort? Uh, look, I must admit, obviously we reviewed the Geelong game. I just do want to end off on this note. The Essendon Football Club... One of my other thoughts today was let's not sulk, let's not cry over that one game. Let's get back on the bike. This year is still well alive. Uh, it's oh, three and four. Absolutely. Uh, I, there's no doubt if we can get some, some wins together in this next four or five weeks because um, there's winnable games. 
we are right in the mix. Yep. Uh, and, and we just hopefully we just get maturing as the year goes on. People might say, gee, you're a bit over optimistic. But I am a little bit way that day because I do believe that last four weeks was really good footy. Uh, and I just feel like just something was not right. Um, so I'm going to. I'm just going to go in with a bit more optimism against Sydney. Let's get go in, get a win. My work said, my work actually let me know that I have to work in Sydney Thursday, Friday. We play Friday night. Hip, hip, hooray. Guess who'll be watching that at the SCG. <laughs> so, Thanks for coming. So I uh, look forward to that. Uh, so if you hear someone really loud on the TV, that's me. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, look, I, I generally think we can we can still actually make quite an impact this year and, and we can start stringing some wins together. We've, uh, we've played the top two teams. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's we're not playing them soon. Early uh, days, early days in the season, guys. I know at the beginning of this podcast and, and when we lose, we, we sort of look at each other and go, because they've been kind of confusing losses. They're just, look, Geelong a yeah. real good side, Collingwood a real good side. We... We, we, we looked a little down. Um, maybe yeah. if it's a virus or something, who knows? But there's we no, should get Raz back this week. Yeah, there's no shame in losing to those sides. It's just no. I, I know with the Geelong game, we can play better than that. Yeah. And uh, as much as I standards. know they're a good side, yeah. I know I know they're not a 5-6 goal. No. And, um, and we're, we're setting high standards for the clubs like we always are. But um, we'll absolutely be... Um, Scotty will be up there at the SCG um, keeping an eye out. We'll see if he can get his head on the... Uh, on the cameras. Um, but yeah, we'll absolutely be supporting the Bombers next week. So um, we'll probably wrap this podcast up. You can see us on the socials. Where quick? The socials. Uh, the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast Facebook page. You can get us on um, the Lunch Catch-Up Podcast. The Lunch Catch-Up? Yeah, the Lunch Catch-Up Podcast, he says. Uh, on Twitter, we couldn't get the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, so it's the Lunch Catch-Up. Um, you can also get us on the Spotify. Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast Instagram, Instagram, you can get us on in iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify. You can get us everywhere. We are global. We are uh, global and trending. And thank you to our international listeners. Uh, we always get massive numbers internationally, especially the now two, from Bali. Yeah. Especially the two, <laughs> two listeners, regular, consistent listeners from Kazakhstan. Thank you. Now, if you, I swear, if you're listening to this in downtown Kazakhstan. Please email us or get in touch with us on the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast Facebook page. We would sincerely love to know who you are and where you are in <laughs> Kazakhstan. So big, big thank you to all the guys in Kazakhstan. So again, a massive thank you to Ricky and his wife um, for being on the podcast today. <laughs> um, yeah. Just another great guest to add to the list. So um, thank you, everybody, to the listeners. Again, we've got some great numbers on the last podcast. We, we really appreciate you guys listening. So hit like and subscribe and all those things on the on the socials. And uh, we will see you after the game, probably later in the weekend. Yeah, look, the, the, po- the next podcast will yeah. be a little bit late because I end up uh, I'm actually flying my wife up to Sydney as well, so we're going to stay the whole weekend, have a bit of a weekend nice. weekend away. So I actually won't be back till Monday. So um, all right, cool. we might might see if we can do one Monday night. Yep, cool Monday night. So thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Go Bombers. <laughs>